Hello, everyone. This is David opposing the Matrix, doing another the show. It's uh, the 14th. It'll soon be the 15th by the time the show's over, so it'll be cataloged as being done on the 15th of uh, November 2020. It is 11.17 p.m., and I am up. <laughs> okay. And you know I am up. We talked about that last night. If you listen to last night's show, one of the things that uh, goes along with um, COVID, COVID long haulers is lack of sleep. And uh, being on prednisone doesn't help either. So anyway, um, where do I want to go with this? And I am going to shut this off because I really have another thing that I want to put on here. Unless it'll let me do it. If it'll let me do it while I'm running the show, then this would be wonderful. Let's see. All right. We got this. I just downloaded a file that I wanted to use. And um, there it is. Let's see if it'll... Look at that. Put it on there. Put a link to it on there. That's great. Okay. And I'm going to go ahead and get rid of that one because we don't need that one. Okay. Today, I got on to Parler. Very rarely use Twitter anymore because I'm an American. I'm not a communist. Um, Communists love Twitter because the guy that runs Twitter is a communist. And he doesn't believe in free speech unless it's speech that is free communist speech. So we don't use Twitter that much anymore. But um, anyway, uh, I, I actually I do go on there to find out things every once in a while and and, uh, and put a link to the show. But um, for the most part, sorry, Twitter is, is a thing of the past. Uh, a lot of the people, most of the people that I knew that were on Twitter moved to Parlor. And that's what I've done. So anyway, Parler is a much, much more superior uh, format than Twitter is. I mean, it lets you type almost, I don't know, was it a thousand characters or something like that? Twitter stops you at a certain amount and makes you start a new feed and type and start a new feed and type. And then it says, do you want to put these all together? Yeah, we'll upload them for you. Okay. And, uh, that's a pain in the rear end. I'm sorry. It really is. Um, I think that's one of the things that the guy that uh, invented Parler thought about when he invented Parler. So anyway, um, at the off chance, and I mean, I think that Trump has a 99.999% of getting the presidency, and we talked about that last night, as long as he doesn't concede, Okay. And I think he knows this, and I don't think he's going to concede. Okay, this this process is quite involved, and it's gonna it's gonna go probably into um, mid to the end of, of December, maybe even the beginning of January. But he will prevail. Okay, boy, you think you've seen riding on the streets? I was watching today that they had that Million Man March in Washington, and. Um, Antifa made the mistake of showing up and the Proud Boys are there. And you know, the the press has gone out of their way to make it sound like the Proud Boys is a racist organization. Well, if you want to consider it that, even though there's 
I saw black faces in there. I saw Latino faces. I saw faces of people that are probably from South Asia and everything else. And they're proud boys. And, um, yeah, maybe it is a racist. Uh, maybe it's the human race. You know, it's a human race uh, organization. Whereas a lot of these, um, libtards and leftists and, and stuff like that are, are probably a serpent seed anyway. So anyway, um, having said that and, and meaning it with all my heart, not retracting it one bit, um, I, uh, I watched that for a little while today, and then um, something caught my attention. And and I just said that Trump has a 99.99999%, but there's that 0.000001% chance that Biden could get in. And Biden has made it quite clear that if he does get in, he is going to do a, a, an executive order mandating that you wear a mask. And I think it's going to be all the time. Okay. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time breathing in those things. And considering Joe Biden needs all the oxygen that he can get for the few brain cells that are actually still working up there, you think he would be against masks. But, uh, you know, he's just playing the politics game and he's doing what his handlers are telling him to do. So while while he's at fault, he's basically just towing his party's line. And which his party is the New World Order. They shouldn't even call it the Democrat Party. It should just be the NWO from now on. Um, it, you know, that's what it should be. <laughs> or the Elitist Party or uh, the Bilderberger Party or, oh, what's the other one? The Illuminati Party. There you go. The Illuminati Party versus the Republican Party or the Patriots. How about the Illuminati versus, Party versus the Patriot Party? Um, there you go, because that's actually what it is. Um, so anyway, I, I have a sound clip here, and I'm going to give the credit to Fox News because they're the ones that ran this. And um, I'm using it for editorial purposes for this article or this, this radio show that I'm doing, actually. There will be no articles. I haven't written articles in a long time, uh, just the ones that I've written on um, the gematria and how it's uh, how people's names – and I'm working on one now, um, where I will be really soon with, uh, Willard Mitt Romney. And some interesting come stuff comes up with him. It really does. And I want to look at that and I want to examine that. And it might explain why the guy always rides the fence, has his feet in two different kingdoms, at least two. He's more like an octopus. He's got two legs in one kingdom, two in another, two in the third, two in the fourth kingdom. And uh, two of those kingdoms are worldly kingdoms, and uh, uh, four of them are uh, kingdoms not of this world. And none of them have to do with Yahweh's kingdom. Okay. Anyway, so here's um, from Fox News. It's uh, Biden saying that he would mandate mandate face masks. And uh, and at the end, he uh, claims that... uh, the virus has killed 120 million Americans. Um, later, he, I guess somebody whispered in his ear that that wasn't right, and he went and retracted that. But, uh, yeah, killed off a third of all the American population. Okay. Um, the guy's dangerous, folks. He's he's just dangerous all on his own, you know. 
There used to be a phrase out there, if you had a brain, you'd be dangerous, you know. Well, he doesn't have a brain really anymore, but uh, he's still quite dangerous. And, uh, you know, I feel bad for the guy. You know, dementia is a terrible uh, disease, as is Alzheimer's. And uh, actually, dementia is a condition. Alzheimer's is a disease. But, uh, you know, it's, it's terrible to watch a man's a man or a woman watch them their their lives waste away and their families. Uh, and, you know, a lot of this has to do with Jill Biden. She's she's the, the driving force behind all this crap. You know, she's the one that's urging him to go on the one. I think she's doing it for her own good, for her power. Uh, she'll probably step up someday and run for some kind of public office. Maybe she'll run for president in four years. Who knows? But, uh, you know, that that's one wicked woman when, you're, when your husband is declining so quickly of, from dementia or Alzheimer's, whatever the case may be, yet you push him and you push him and you push him to run for public office, and he makes a complete ass out of himself half the time he's up uh, behind the podium. You know, any woman that does that to her husband, you know, should be horsewhipped. I'm sorry, but, you know, that's, 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 that's spousal abuse, what she's doing. It's, I don't know, there's, there's probably other kinds of abuses that you could you know, label it as, but, uh, forcing him to do that is just totally beyond the realm of, uh, anything that anybody like you or I would do. You know, we would sit there and say, ah, oh, you know, the guy's kind of declining. It would be kind of, embarrassing for him we don't want to put him up on a pedestal and make him look like a fool that's what you and i would say you know we 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 love our spouse and you know we we didn't marry our spouses i think most of us didn't i know i didn't um for what she could give or get me or give to me you know it's what we could offer each other you know the jill biden's wicked jill um and uh she uh She's something else. I don't know. It's, uh, I don't know. And the offspring isn't that good either, come to think of it. So there, there's a bad gene pool there, and, and it might be partly his, but it's definitely her. So, And if those those boys are from the first marriage, well, then, you know, you got to wonder about her. So anyway, and I don't even know if she's alive or if she passed away or what, but I think she might have passed away. And it's not good to speak ill of the dead, but, um, you know, she did bring those boys into this world. And the only one that was worth anything was the one that died in war. Um, I think he was the only one that had any integrity. Anyway, I'm getting off the subject. So let's listen to Biden saying that he would um, mandate with an executive order uh, the use of masks. And by the way, before we do that, the governor of South Carolina, a very brave and respected woman, has said that she will not, if they came out with a mandate, that she would not use state resources to enforce the mandate. So kudos to, uh, I hate using that word because it's, it's not a good word. It comes from a, uh, a very worldly source. But three cheers for the governor of um, South Dakota and for the people of South Dakota because they put her in office. So. If it wasn't so darn cold there in the wintertime, it might be a good place to live. So anyway, I'm going to go ahead and play this, and then we'll uh, we'll move on to other things, because I want to read to you a, uh, a document put out by the CDC, which looks like it was a carbon copy of something put out by the WHO, which Trump saw as a threat to the United States and uh, defunded 
basically we're not even having anything to do with the WHO anymore. And, uh, and Trump knew what they were all about, but the CDC seems to be picking up their ball and running with it. So anyway, let's listen to Biden. In tonight's Democracy 2020 report, the vastly different strategies for the two major parties as they prepare for their summer conventions. Republicans want to throw a party. Democrats are going to keep it mostly digital. And correspondent Peter Ducey tells us tonight from Maryland that that Democrat tactics tactic could extend throughout much of the campaign. If Joe Biden is elected president, he's hinting at an executive order that would read something like this. By the authority vested in me as president by the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America, it is hereby ordered as follows. Everyone must wear a face mask. You would, in effect, mandate the wearing of masks. I would do everything in my possible to make it make it required that people had to wear masks in public. As Republicans plow ahead with plans for a large in-person convention in Jacksonville this summer, in a state where the Republican governor is delaying the next phase of reopening amid a spike in COVID cases, Biden says it's probable when he's at the Milwaukee convention to accept the Democratic nomination, it'll be in an empty room. And he doesn't think any large campaign rallies are in the cards between now and Election Day. If the virus were under control and moved or we had, like he talked about, a vaccine or we had uh, ways in which to make sure that this was not being transmitted, then yes, but I don't see that happening. Biden's event Thursday was only for a small group of invited guests and a small press pool to maximize social distancing. But a local outlet from the host city, Lancaster Online, was shut out, and their editorial board is not happy. Quote, by shutting LNP Lancaster Online out of an important community health discussion held here Thursday, the Biden campaign sent the wrong message about the importance of local newspaper journalism to the very communities it is trying to reach during the presidential campaign. Thank you, guys. The small press pool that was inside was instructed to move locations mid-event, so the network feed cuts out at what sounded like quite an overestimation. Now we have over 120 million dead from COVID. Over 100, I mean... That's where the video ends. But this afternoon, an audio recording has surfaced where Biden does immediately correct himself to say there have been 120,000 dead, not 120 million, which would be more than a third of the U.S. population. Brett? All right, Peter, thank you. Over a third of the population. Well, I don't know. (laughs) Everybody I know is still around, so... Um, like I said, you know, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but the man needs to not wear a mask so he can get some as much oxygen as possible into those lungs so that it can feed his brain cells because he's not operating on all of them anymore and uh, he needs all he can get. And I don't think that's being mean. I think it's just, I think it's being kind, actually. Um, he, he can't think straight and uh, if getting a little more oxygen up to those brain cells... Uh, would uh, would help him. It would, might be a good thing. I know when I wear that stupid mask after ten hours at work, I um, I can't wait to get outside the building so I could peel that thing off and throw it in the garbage. And uh, I noticed during the video a couple of gaffes that that were made. Um, I noticed that uh, that um, Biden uh, was talking one time without his mask and he rubbed his nose with his. Uh, I guess it would be his forefinger, um, which is, you know, <laughs> then he grabs the microphone. I'm like, oh, that's great. You know, talk about a super spreader. 
And uh, another thing he was doing, he, and, and we're constantly told at work uh, at the hospital that uh, don't grab your mask on the outside to adjust it, you know, like in the middle and pull it up. Well, it's exactly what Biden did the whole time. And uh, and another thing that's that I find quite interesting this is kind of getting away from the Biden thing. But um, the other day, I think it was yesterday when Kate Brown announced that she was shutting Oregon down again for another two weeks, at least two weeks. You can't even leave the state anymore, folks. Um, you know, <laughs> the people that complained about putting a wall down on the Mexican border are telling you you can't leave the state. Unless, unless you work, like if you live in Portland and you work in Vancouver, then you can leave the state. But um, anyway, I noticed that whenever she spoke, she took her mask off. Okay, and um, and I can understand that because it's hard to hear. But she's got a microphone stuck right in front of her face, so that shouldn't really be affecting her. And then, um, <laughs> how do I say this? Quite gingerly without offending anybody but um uh the i don't know what his what his capacity is in oregon but i think he might be like the chief medical officer or something in oregon and uh, you know what i'm not going to go into that because i know i'm going to get called on that so let's just forget about that one <laughs> okay uh, i'll be called uh uh homophobe and everything else and uh, and you know just well, well, I'll go into that some other time when I think it's safe to go into it. I think I just kind of did a little bit. But uh, uh, the third thing that happened there was um, they had another table set up and they had the uh, the doctor for the Oregon Health Authority speaking there. And when she sat there, she took her mask off. And when you take your mask off, whenever you speak, I don't know if you know this, but whenever you speak, you're constantly emitting an aerosol of spray out of your mouth. You don't have to cough to do that, just to do that. You don't have to sneeze just to do that. Just talking will do it. And a lot of times it comes out in larger particles, and those particles land on a table or wherever you're sitting and facing. They, they move forward and fall on a surface. So anyway, she takes her mask off, and she talks and answers some questions, puts her mask back on, and walks away. And I'm like, okay, well... Well, then they invited another doctor. She was an ER doctor, and she works for um, Oregon Health Science Hospital, OSHU, or something like that, and uh, in the emergency room. And she sits down in the very same seat uh, that has the very same armrest, and uh, she takes off her mask, places it on the table, face down, just like the other woman did. Actually, you know, I think they might have... I might be wrong with it, with that. I think they might have pulled them down under their chin. So don't quote me on that. But but anyway, so she's sitting there without a face mask on, barehanded, no gloves. Okay. And she's touching everything that the woman before her touched. Okay. Um, part of COVID that you really have to watch out for is drop the precautions. Then that's why when you go into a restaurant or something, if you're able to, I don't know, I might be talking to people who live in states where you still can't go into some restaurants. We have a few open that we can go into here, but before you go and sit at your table, they wipe down everything. They wipe down the table. They wipe down the chairs. They, you know, there's no condiments whatsoever on the table. Those are brought separately and then later cleaned. So they, you know, the, the restaurants are practicing pretty safe uh, uh, preventive measures. Okay, 
But here you got a, a doctor that sits down right after another doctor is, is putting her hands on the keyboard that the other doctor touched. I think she touched the mouse. I'm not sure. Um, but she's touching all those droplets that came out of that first doctor's mouth. Now, what if that first doctor is infected? Yes, she might have had an AIDS test. Yes, AIDS test. Pardon me. She might have had a COVID test yesterday. But it doesn't mean that she didn't get sick overnight or acquire it overnight, you know, and she's spreading it all over the place. So the very people that are telling us how we're supposed to handle our lives, what we're supposed to do in our lives, how many people we're supposed to contact, how we're supposed to self-isolate, how we're supposed to do all this stuff, aren't following the rules themselves. I noticed Kate Brown was pushing up her mask a few times with her fingers. Um, and masks are considered contaminated. You know, you don't touch somebody else's mask. And I brought this up at work. I said, you know, I said, I really appreciate all the stuff that you guys are doing. I really do. You know, because, I mean, it, they're they're really anal about a lot of the rules when it comes to uh, wearing masks and washing your hands. And uh, we can't even eat together in a break room anymore. We have to eat either out in our cars or in a room where nobody else is. Okay. Um, and that's the only time we can take our masks off. We're allowed to take breathers, but nobody else can be in the room. Okay. So anyway, um, so we have to take all these precautions when we're at work. Yet, you know, nobody else does. I heard Gavin Newsom had a party the other day. Invited a whole bunch of people over, but he's telling people they can't get together for Thanksgiving. Same with Nancy Pelosi. And I love Kate Brown's <laughs> she's going to do. <laughs> She says, yeah, she's, she said there should only be a total of, um, what, five or six people at a Thanksgiving dinner. Okay. Well, what if you're two adults and you have five kids? That's seven people right there. So what are you supposed to do? Kick two of your kids out? Well, anyway, I'm just being facetious. But um, so anyway, she says, so what we're going to do is we're going to spend Thanksgiving at home. Now, I don't know who she's going to spend it with because she's a bisexual. So she going to be with, I think she's going to be with her husband because she said that uh, what they're going to do is they're going to set, set up two Zoom feeds. One is going to be to her family, uh, you know, her mother and father, I guess, and their relatives. And the other Zoom feed is going to be to his mother and father and their relatives. Um, so that, that's going to be quite interesting, um, especially since Kate Brown's father um I think his fa her father, Pat Brown, died years ago. I don't know if her mother's still alive, but it would still be brothers and sisters. And one of the brothers would be Jerry Brown, the guy that ruined California twice. Um, um, and then passed on his legacy to other people that continued to ruin California. But anyway, um, so she expects everybody. Now, that's great if you got the money to have two computers. Okay, so you need two computers because you're going to have two Zoom casts. Okay. And then you got to have some fairly good bandwidth to do that and, uh, and two Zoom connections. Okay, now you can do Zoom for free. That's, you know, that's that's pretty easy, I guess. But um, so that's that's great if you got the money to do it. But what if you're, um, <clears throat> let's just say you're a family of, uh, well, most a lot of people are out of work nowadays. A lot in here around Oregon, a lot of uh, loggers are out of work. Um, a lot of restaurant workers are out of work. 
Uh, shop owners have lost their stores and are out of work. So they got no money coming in. Nobody's got any money coming in, but she expects everybody to set up Zoom, Zoom uh, meetings with their families when they can't even afford the Internet, you know? So it's, I don't know. The hypocrisy is just, it's sky high. It really is. It's like, it's like all these people smoked too much dope when they were teenagers and they just burned out so many brain cells that they can't think rationally, you know? And I, you know, I could say I could be guilty of that too, but you know what? When I came to faith in Yeshua, he made me a new creature. He renewed my mind and my heart. And, uh, so what I gave up and, and destroyed, he actually renewed and made new. So, um, and you can have that too if you don't have it. It's uh, it's quite interesting. It really is. It's it's neat to start a new life, and even if you're older, it's neat. You know, it's you see things with a whole different perspective. Uh, you see things through uh, more or less through God's eyes instead of seeing them through a man's eyes. Um, and it, it helps you to live a better life and to be a better person. Now, yes, there are people that claim to be Christians out there and they run amok. You know, you got your Joel Olsteins and your, um, oh, you name it, your Benny Hens and, uh, uh, or is it Benny Hen? I can't, I've never gotten that straight. And you got your Joyce Myers and other people who, um, you know, are basically heretics and, and are out there raking in millions of dollars because they write books uh, with philosophy in them, um, using the Bible to justify their philosophy. And um, so, you know, there are charlatans out there, but there are some some of us that are are hardworking and caring and loving people that uh, just want the best for everybody. And those are the people, if you if you look for Christians, those are the ones you should be seeking out. And you're not necessarily going to find them in a lot of the churches. You'll find them in some of the churches, but you got to really be selective. Well, anyway, I'm getting way off subject here. Um, so anyway, all that stuff having been said, um, something was posted on Parlor today, and it was um, basically guidelines from the CDC about how they're going to handle a pandemic. If um, if I would say if Joe Biden gets elected, this is the way things are going to be handled. OK. And when I read through the article, it started mentioning camps where people were going to be sent. And considering my heritage and my I'm quite astute when it comes to uh, the 20th century, especially from like 1930 to 1950. You know, I've I've studied that era because I wanted to see what motivated Hitler to do what he did. I wanted to see why the Jewish community didn't fight back. I wanted to, you know, I just wanted to see. And and I, I know that why they didn't fight back because they were duped. And when they finally got smart, it was it was too late. And I see America heading down that road so fast. Um, you know, it's uh, if, if you're listening to the. The, the alphabet uh, news stations, ABC, NBC, MSNBC, you know, you're uh, and you're and you're believing what they're saying. Then you've got bigger problems than I can ever address so, um, because you're believing a group of liars. But anyway, <clears throat> so let's see. This is from the Center of Disease Control. Uh, it says, uh, Center of Disease Control and Prevention, CDC 24-7, Saving Lives, Protecting People. Okay. Um, 
maybe enslaving lives under the guise of protecting people. That'd be a better way to, for them to put it, but that's not what they put. Anyway, I started to look at this, and I'm going to explain it real quick a little bit. Um, I started to notice that there was not just talk, American talk here. There was international talk um, and um, describing how things have worked in different nations. And how would you find that out except if you went to the WHO? Um, and then I came down. There's a subheading on the left-hand side. It's a drop-down menu. It said, how COVID-19 burials differ from Ebola burials. Well, who in this country gives a rip about Ebola? Unless they're planning on starting an Ebola epidemic here in this country, we might have to watch out for that one. Um, so maybe that's what that why that's on there. But it's got global digital tools as one of the pull-down tabs. Um, let's see. I don't know. Just it just it's got WHO written all over it, World Health Organization. So. Um, and it's under the uh, the uh, subsection more res- uh, more resources, and it, it's an article, and it's uh, it says interim operational considerations for implementing the shielding approach. Remember that the shielding approach to prevent COVID nineteen infections in humanitarian settings. And I just for the heck of it, I looked up humanitarian, and it says concerned or with or seeking to promote human welfare. And basically that's what it means. So, um, but uh, human welfare, you know, when you think of welfare, you think of, well, a lot of people think of, you know, freebies and doling out cash and food and stuff like that. But welfare actually means, um, you know, taking care of one another, seeing that people are faring well. Okay, basically is what it means. Just reverse the words, faring well, welfare, faring well. Um, and um, so that's promoting humans uh, faring well. Okay. Um, but does faring well um, get in the way of making sure that people are faring well, get in the way of, there are other personal rights that they have as American citizens. That's the big question. Okay. And I'm just going to read the whole document. So bear with me. Okay. Sip of cold coffee. I hate this, but I got to do it. Oh man, how people could drink iced coffee. I don't know. Um, okay. And this was updated July 26, 2020. So it means that they've been thinking about this for quite a while. And it was um, not long after. I think uh, Trump defunded the, the WHO, I think, in February or March. So it wasn't long after that. Okay, let me get a breath here. That's hard to do sometimes. Uh, this document presents considerations from the perspective of the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And by the way, they're not part of the U.S. government. They're a private organization that advises the U.S. government. Okay, in case you didn't know that. Okay, the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, for implementing the shielding approach in humanitarian settings is outlined in guidance documents focused on camps, displaced persons, and low-resource settings. 
This approach has never been documented and has raised questions and concerns among humanitarian partners who support responsive activities in these settings. The purpose of this document is to highlight potential implementation challenges of the shielding approach from CDC's perspective and guide um, and guide thinking around the implementation in the absence of empirical data. See the words? Highlight potential implementation challenges for shielding approach perspectives and guide thinking around the implementation. They want to guide us. They want to guide people on how to do things the way that they think is the right way. In other words, uh, your, uh, your parents used to try to guide you in uh, I don't know if you had, my parents were pretty decent people, but I, I knew kids that had parents that would, uh, you know, tell them not to smoke dope and then go into the other room and get high, you know. Um, they were guiding them, but not necessarily um, setting an example, setting a good example. Anyway, considerations are based on current evidence known about transmission and severity of coronavirus disease 2019 or COVID-19 and may need to be revised as more information becomes available. Please check CDC website periodically for updates. Okay. What is a shielding approach? Okay, this will kind of explain it. <coughs> Pardon me. The shielding approach aims to reduce the number of severe COVID-19 cases by limiting contact between individuals at higher risk of developing severe disease, uh, a.k.a. high risk, and the general population, which is low risk. High-risk individuals would be temporarily relocated to safe green zones. Where have we seen that word, green zones? Let's, let's look at that. I looked that one up too. Okay, the definition of a green zone varies from community to community, but there is a conce common concept. Um, uh, a green zone designation provides a local framework to protect the environmental and economic health of a community affected by local pollution. Read more about green zones in the LA, this LA Times article. So basically, um, it's a, a protection zone that they set up to protect um, the environment from um, from different things. Pollution, I guess you could consider a, a pandemic of pollution, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Okay, current evidence indicates that older adults and people of any age who have serious underlying medical conditions are at higher risk for severe illness from COVID-19. Okay, let's read that again. Current evidence indicates that older adults and people of any age who have serious underlying medical condi conditions are at higher risk for severe illness from COVID-19. So... Have you ever been told you're at high risk? Well, if you've got diabetes or a heart ailment or autoimmune disease, yes, you are. Um, and there are a lot of autoimmune diseases out there. Um, uh, yeah, there's there's dozens of them. So um, going into that would be fruitless tonight. But anyway, um, in most humanitarian settings, older populations group make, groups make up a small percentage of the total population. Um, which I find to be BS because they're saying that the baby boomers are, uh, are really coming of, uh, retirement age. So we're the older population. 
So, and, you know, there, there's always been more baby boomers than there has been any other group. So, again, this makes me think that this is talking about um, places overseas because places overseas, people don't live as long as we live here in this country. So, um, yes, and in those countries, they'd make up a smaller population. But here they make a very, we, we make up a very large population. I'm one of them. Okay. For this reason, the shielding approach suggests uh, physically separating high-risk individuals from the general population to prioritize the use of limited available resources and to avoid implementing long-term containment measures along with the general population. That's telling me that they want to move high-risk people away from their families. Remember when Cuomo did that? He uh, actually... He moved COVID patients in with high-risk populations. Cuomo should be charged with um, uh, genocide. He really should. Um, probably never will, but he uh, he made decisions that killed a lot of people. And uh, you, you, Andrew, you might get away with it in this life, but you're going to have to answer to a higher authority when you take your last breath, and I wouldn't want to be in your shoes, schmuck. Okay. In theory, shielding may serve its objective to protect high-risk populations from disease and death. However, implementation of the approach necessitates strict adherence. Ooh, necessitates strict adherence. In other words, we can't do this on our own. We have to be forced. Um, strict adherence to protocol. An um, inadvertent introduction of the virus into a green zone may result in rapid transmission among the most vulnerable populations the approach is trying to protect. A summary of the shielding approach described by Favis is shown in Table 1, which we'll look at. Uh, see guidance for prevention of COVID-19 infections among high-risk individuals in low-resource displays in camp-like settings for full details. Okay, here's the table. So it lists different settings, okay? The first one is household, the household level. And um, it says in the first column, a specific room or area designated for high-risk individuals who are physically isolated from other household members. And it says movement and interactions. That's the second column. So I'll just go column A, column B, okay? Column A is the level. Column B is the movement and interactions. And it says low-risk uh, household members should not enter the green zone. If the entry is necessary, it should be done only by a healthy individual after washing hands and using face coverings. Interactions should be at a safe distance, approximately two meters, and that's about three feet. Uh, minimal, uh, excuse me, minimum movement of high-risk individuals outside the green area. Low-risk, high uh, household members continue to follow social distancing and hygiene practices outside the house. I totally agree with that. Okay, <clears throat> that has commonly been known as self-isolating. Why they have to use this mumbo-jumbo talk? I don't know. The second level, column A. The neighborhood level, it's called the designated shelter or group of shelters, maximum five to ten households within a small camp. And that, you know, they're just talking about a, like maybe a cul-de-sac or something or an area where high risk members are grouped together. Neighbors swap households to accommodate high risk individuals. And uh, column B, it's the same as above. 
So in other words, if you lived in a cul-de-sac, you would pick one or two houses where you might send uh, somebody that has uh, somebody that has an autoimmune disease, another person that has a heart condition. They'd all live in a house um, in separate rooms, basically, where they would uh, they would be isolated from the rest of the population, and anybody that went in there would have to be uh, low risk. Okay, and this is the one that's kind of bothersome. There are the camp or sector level. A group of shelters such as schools, community buildings within a camp slash sector, maximum of 50 high-risk individuals per single grip green zone, where high-risk individuals are physically isolated together. Interesting. Um, in column B, one entry point is used for exchange of food and supplies, etc. A meeting area is used for residents and visitors to interact while practicing physical distancing, which is, again, three, uh, six feet or two meters. No movement into or outside the green zone. Okay. You're stuck in a camp and you're there. <laughs> you don't get out. Where have we seen that before? Where have we seen that? Um, back in Germany in the 1930s, late 30s and 40s, um, Really more, more towards the 1940s. Um, Jews were told that uh, Jews were equated as being subhuman. And so were gypsies and other minorities. Uh, some Christians that opposed the Nazi regime um, were all considered to be uh, less than Aryan and therefore expendable. And, and when you are, when a person is made to be um, a certain class that's, um, that's not normal, um, Many times they're dehumanized. That's what the Jews were back. Jews, um, Jews, Gypsies, Protestants, some Catholics and stuff uh, were, uh, and definitely blacks. After the Jews are gone, the, uh, the Nazis were going to go after the blacks. So um, anyway, um, it. Uh, where was I going with this? Okay. So all they have to do is classify you in a certain classification, and all of a sudden you're not the same as everybody else. Okay, so they're already doing that in this article: high risk, low risk. Okay, and I kind of I, I like the fact that they're 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 pretending here because as you read on, you're going to see that it gets a little more sinister. Um, they're pretending here to to care about people. You know, we want to watch the the high risk people, uh, the people that have uh, Autoimmune diseases, people who have diabetes, heart problems, um, anything that can um, that the virus could take advantage of to take people out. If it is a virus, I, I'm still not convinced it's a virus. Um, I think it's a hybrid between a plasmonid and a, uh, a bacteria. Um, and you can listen to the radio show I did about that. Um, it's on. It's yeah, it's still on YouTube. If it's not, it's on. Uh, if they take decide to take that off, um, it is on um, Rumble. Should be on Rumble. It is, and it's uh, on Spreaker. The the audio versions on Spreaker also. Okay, operational considerations. The shielding approach requires several prerequisites for effective implementation. Several are addressed, including access to health care and provision of food. However, there are several prerequisites which require additional considerations. The table number two presents the prerequisites or suggestions as suggested in the shielding um, 
guidance document column one and CDC presents additional questions and considerations along with these prerequisites in column two. Uh, table two suggests the prerequisites, uh, that's a hard word to say, it sounds like Elmer Fudd, prerequisites um, per the shielding documents and CDC operational considerations for implementation. Okay, column one, each green zone has a dedicated latrine, bathing facility, and high, for high-risk individuals, okay? I don't know about you, but sharing a bathroom with, uh, you know, you go to the store or something, especially I'm kind of a aficionado with this, because the first thing I do when I go to a store is I find where the bathroom is, because I have to use it most of the times, but, uh, uh you know, there are other diseases that accompany human beings. C. diff is a big one that uh, accompanies a lot of people, especially older people who have been on antibiotics for a long time. So if you put an, an aged uh, population in with a younger population, you could expose them to C. diff if they have to use community toilets. Okay. So um, that's something to think about. All right, and then column B says the shielding approach advises against any new facility construction to establish green zones. However, few settings that will have existing shelters or communal facilities with designated latrines and bathing facilities to accommodate high-risk individuals. In these settings, most latrines used by um, HHs, households, um, are located outside the home and often shared by multiple HHs. Huh. Okay. I don't know what that means. Does that mean moving a latrine in uh, like a Bucks or a uh, or a porta potty? I don't know. Um, the second bullet point in that column: If dedicated facilities are available, ensure safety measures such as proper lighting, hand washing, hygiene, infrastructure, maintenance, and disinfection of latrines. And number three. Ensure facilities can be can accommodate high-risk individuals with disabilities and children, and separate genders at a at the neighborhood camp level. That's interesting for for those who are out there trying to make uh, non-gender bathrooms. Uh, that presents a little bit of a problem for them, doesn't it? But uh, well, I guess that's tough for them. But um, I am not going to go sit in. If I was placed in one of those places, I would not go sit in um, the same bathroom as a he-she. Sorry. Um, column A again. To minimize external contact, each green zone should be include able-bodied high-risk individuals capable of caring for residents who have disabilities or are less mobile. Otherwise, designate low-risk individuals for these tasks, preferably who have re recovered from confirmed COVID-19 or is soon to be immune. Um, they're finding out that you can get a relapse of COVID-19. So if you've had it once, doesn't mean that you're not going to get it again. And then if there's long haulers like myself, uh, the question is, are we immune? You know, or, or I don't know. It's just, that's why I wish they would get this long hauler thing all straightened out. You know, and make it into a diagnosis, for goodness sakes, because more and more people are manifesting with it. Okay, column B for that same one. This may be difficult to sustain, especially if the caregivers are also high risk. 
as caregivers may often will often will be family members, ensure the strategy is socially and culturally acceptable. Um, which is really important because, um, <laughs> okay, let's, let's take, oh, I don't know. Uh, let's just take a Muslim family that's being quarantined. Okay, the caregiver, if it's a woman that's sick, a caregiver cannot be a man, has to be a woman. Okay, and in addition, if it's a if it's a man that's sick, they usually prefer a man to come and take care of them. Okay, so you're gonna have to take that into consideration. You're gonna have to take food. Um, uh, a lot of Muslims maintain a uh, uh, special dietary laws, so you have to make sure you got all that straightened out. Um, you know, um, certain cultures you. You know, you give certain hand gestures in America, like the thumbs up, that means, hey, everything's okay. You did it in other cultures, and it means up yours. Okay. Um, so you have to have people that are culturally um, trained in order to be able to do this. And how are you going to find that in neighborhoods where, you know, let's just say down here in Sweet Home or over in Brownsville where most people are, um, you know, your basic uh, Anglo-American white bread, you know, um, you know, what if it's, uh, somebody from another society and, uh, staring in, into the eyes is something that's seen as an insult, you know, right away you've made an enemy. And, and I'll tell you what, stress doesn't play very good into, um, coming over, coming off of a, um, a really bad disease it can make it even worse. Okay, and the second bullet point, currently we do not know if prior infections can confer immunity. There we go. Yep. Um, and, and one case that I'll use um, that works really well is people that have had chicken pox will often later in life manifest with shingles because it's the same virus. Okay, so if you got the same virus in your body and, and you have antibodies to chicken pox, why do you still get shingles? Interesting question. But now they have a shingles vaccine, which you won't find me taking. Um, I've had shingles, by the way, so maybe I'm immune to it. Um, okay, the next column, or next one down, the next row, I should say, first column. The green zone of living areas for high-risk residents should be aligned with minimum humanitarian sphere standards. And let me let me back up for a minute because again, when we're talking about people of different cultures, a lot of America isn't like that. I mean, yeah, the big cities are, but a lot of America isn't like that. So this is almost like it was written for um, for for uh, countries that have very diverse populations. Like in, um, where is it? Zaire. It used to be Zaire. Um, oh, Idi Amin used to be the president there. Uganda. Uh, for a while you had the, the Tutsis, the Tutsis fighting the Utus, I think their names were. And, uh, so, you know, vastly different peoples and you're going to lump them in together. So no, you're going to have to put them together in their own populations. So anyway, this article seems to be a guidebook from the, the World Health Organization. Okay. All right. And let me read that again. The green zone of living areas for high-risk residents should be aligned with the minimum humanitarian sphere standards. Um, and I'm trying to figure out what sphere means. 
And it doesn't say. Okay, anyway, maybe, well, let's see. Let's go down. Let's jump down to six here. Because six is the, uh, the Sphere Handbook, Humanitarian Charter for the Minimum Standards in Humanitarian Response 2018 edition. And I'm not going to click on that because then I'll lose where I was before and then it'll be a big mess. Um, okay, come on. We'll figure it out. The shielding uh, approach requires strict adherence to infection prevention and control IPC measures. Um, they require uninterrupted availability of soap, water, hygiene slash cleaning supplies, masks or cloth co face coverings, etc. for all individuals in the green zones. This, thus, it is necessary to ensure minimum public health standards are maintained and possibly supplemented uh, to decrease risks of other outbreaks outside the co of COVID-19. See, they're worried about other diseases breaking out. Attaining the minimums, uh, the Excuse me. Attaining and maintaining minimum sphere standards is difficult in these settings for the general population. Users, users should consider that, that provision of services and supplies um, to high-risk uh, individuals. To high-risk individuals uh, could be at the expense of low-risk uh, residents, putting them at increased risk for other outbreaks. So what they're saying is that. Uh, you're going to have to maintain um, uh, hand washing and everything else because there are other diseases that these people can come down with. And a low risk person can go in there and instead of catching COVID-19, can catch something else. Okay. And remember, when you, when you have something, a virus or anything else, your immune system is very low and you can catch other things. Um, anybody that has had AIDS knows um, and it's commonly taught now anyway that uh, there are other uh, infections and diseases that take advantage of the low, um, the low um, immunity that they have. Uh, one of them is uh, Carposi sarcoma, which is a cancer that, that AIDS patients often get. Um, and uh, because the body just doesn't have the, uh, the wherewithal to fight. So other things come in and take advantage of that. Okay. Kind of like, um, kind of like Antifa's taking advantage of the unrest in America as is Black Lives Matter. Uh, there are a lot of good people that are concerned with black people that are concerned with Black Lives Matter because black lives do matter. But there are other people that are, that are using Black Lives Matter as a, a manipulation and a, um, a propaganda machine and a um, and a defense mechanism or a offense mechanism against American society. Okay, let's see. Let me go down to the next one. Men and women. This is the first uh, column. Next row. Men and women and individuals with tuberculosis, TB, severe immunodeficiencies, and dementia should be isolated separately. Okay, multiple, and in the next uh, column, multiple green zones would be needed to achieve this level of separation, each re requiring additional inputs and resources. Further considerations include cha uh, challenges of accommodating different uh, ethnicities, socio-cultural groups, and religions within one setting. Hmm, interesting. So you're going to be setting up separ separate things for uh, separate people. Um 
And let me let me ask you a question. If there's uh, if somebody wanted to get rid of uh, people with TB, it would be real easy to do if they were separated into separate populations or separated into individuals. Uh, you know, one per room. You know, you could take out complete populations of people by doing things that way. And what about where it says religions? What you know, are you going to move all Pentecostal Christians into one area, or are you just going to move all Christians into one area? And that way, when the time comes, uh, extermination time comes, uh, they're all ready to pick up and take away, much like uh, the Jews were in um, in Europe. They all lived in their own communities, so the Nazis just went in and arrested everybody in that community. They were sent on trains telling them that they were going to a better place. Um, and, uh, and the rest is history. Uh, next column, first row, next row, next first column. Uh, community acceptance and involvement in the design and implementation. Next column, even the, um, even with community involvement, there may be risks of stigmatization, stigmatization. Isolation slash separation from family members, loss of freedom and personal interactions may require additional psychosocial support structures and systems. See section on additional considerations below. Now, what do you do with the children? Okay, what if the children come down with it and you move them out and you move them somewhere where maybe they won't be found again? This would be a man, this would be a uh, perfect way for somebody that wants to get a hold of children and use them for nefarious purposes to get them away from their parents. Much like the coyotes did when they came, when they brought the children up here and pretended to be their parents. Um, they were separated from their parents. Sometimes their parents sold them, of course, but um, they were, they were separated and, um, and some of them were never seen again. And many of them were rescued during the Trump administration, which is another reason why Trump should be president, not Biden. Because Biden likes to touch little boys and girls, especially little girls. Um, let's see. Next row, first column. High-risk minors should be accompanied in isolation by a single caregiver who will also be considered a green zone resident in terms of movements and contacts with those outside the green zone. Okay, so what if the caregiver turns out to be a child molester or a sexual predator that um, happens to have just moved into the neighborhood? That wouldn't be good, right? And the next uh, column that we have in that row, protection measures are critical of, uh, to implementation. Ensure there is appropriate, adequate, and acceptable care for other minors and individuals with disabilities, um, or mental health conditions who remain in the home health care um, if separated from the primary caregiver. Boy, they're just moving everybody around everywhere. Um, next row, first column. And we're getting down to the end of this. Um, we've only got two more rows here. Uh, green zone shelters should always be kept clean. Residents should be provided with necessary cleaning products and materials uh, to clean their living spaces. And the next column says high-risk individuals will be responsible for cleaning and maintaining their own living spaces and facilities. Uh, this may not be feasible for persons with disabilities or decreased mobility. 
Maintaining hygiene uh, conditions in communal facilities is difficult during non-outbreak settings. Consequently, it may be necessary to provide additional human resource support. In other words, sending in more low-risk workers. Um, and the final row, first column, green zones should be more spacious in terms of shelter area per capita than the surrounding camp sector. Camp slash sector. Now they're now they're turning green zones into a camp. See this? Green zones used to be little neighborhoods, or they could be home health could be a green zone. But here specifically said green zones should be more spacious in terms of shelter area per capita than the surrounding camp sector, even at the cost of greater crowding of low risk people. Well, that doesn't really protect the lowest people, then, does it? This is stupid. <clears throat> now, next uh, column, last row. Ensure that the targeting uh, high-risk individual does not negate mitigation measures amid low-risk individuals. Uh, for example, physical distancing in markets or water points where feasible, etc. Uh, end of... Uh, brackets. Um, differences in space based on risk status may increase the potential risk of exposure among the, re the rest of the low-risk residents and may be unacceptable or impractical considering space limitations and overcrowding in many settings. And I'll tell you the truth, I could see some people running these things that'll say, hey, you're low risk. Um, you've been in there a thousand times today. Let's make it a thousand and one times because there's nobody else showing up, so you have to do it. And you go in that thousand and first time and you come down with it. Um, the next category, additional considerations. Uh, the shielding approach outlines the general logistics of implementation, who, what, where, and how. Um, however, there may be additional logistical challenges to implementing these strategies as results of unavailable commodities. Uh, commodities. Um, transport restrictions, limited staff capacity, and availability to meet the increased needs. The approach does not address the potential emotional, social, slash cultural, psychological impact for, for separated individuals, nor for the households with separated members. Additional considerations to address these challenges are presented below. It goes into population characteristics and demographics. Uh, consideration, the number of green zones required may be greater than anticipated as they are based on the total number of high-risk individuals, disease categories, and socio-demographics of the area, and not just the proportion of elderly population. And there's an explanation here to the consideration. Um, older adults represent a small percentage of the population. Again, we have this crap again. No, not in the United States. Um, a uh, small percentage of the population in many camps and humanitarian settings, approximately 3 to 5%. See, that's not America. However, in some humanitarian settings, more than a quarter of the population may fall under high-risk categories. Based on underlying medical conditions, which, which may increase a person's risk for COVID-19, illness which uh, include chronic kidney disease, obesity, serious heart condition, sickle cell disease, and type 2 diabetes. Additionally, many camps and settlements host multiple nationalities, which may require additional separation. For example, uh, 
Kukuma refugee camp in Kenya accommodates refugees from 19 countries. That's nice, but we're not Kenya. Uh, timeline considerations. Consideration. Plan for extended duration of implementation time, at least six months. Okay. You may be stuck in a concentration camp for six months. Or you may die in a concentration camp from COVID or you might be eliminated. You ought to get online on YouTube and read, uh, type in China COVID camps and see what's going on there. There's a mass slaughter going on there because they're finding this as a way to get rid of a lot of the dissidents in China. Tell them they have COVID, arrest them, throw them into a camp, and then they disappear and you never see them again. Okay. All right. Let's see. Explanation. The shielding approach proposes green zones be maintained until one of the following circumstances arises. One, sufficient hospitalization capacity is established. Two, effective vaccines or therapeutic options become widely available. Or three, uh, the COVID-19 epidemic affecting the population subsides, which it would if you allowed herd immunity to take effect. Uh, see, the one thing that they're doing is a lot of people have had this COVID-19 and they haven't manifested it. It hasn't really, it's made them maybe a little sick or not sick at all, but they've had it. And if that happens to a lot of people that you develop herd immunity, which means that most of the people have had it. So they can, if, if they go out in public, um, uh, they're around other people that have had it and there's no, not that much chance for infection. And if you do become infected, the virus tends to, any virus tends to, as it gets older, degrade. So that's one thing that they won't tell you. <laughs> um, the law of mutation is, affects viruses too. And it's usually deadly or detrimental to the virus. Okay. And in the next paragraph, given the limited resources and healthcare available to populations in humanitarian settings prior to the, to the pandemic, it is unlikely sufficient hospitalization capacity, beds, person, personal protective equipment, ventilators, and staff will be achievable during widespread transmission. The national capacity in many of the countries where these settings are located, for example, Chad, Chad, Myanmar, and Syria is limited. Resources may become quickly overwhelmed during the peak of the transmission and may not be accessible to the emergency affected populations. Vaccine trials are underway, but no one, with no definite timeline. This is an old article. There is a definite timeline. They're talking about maybe December and it is November 15th right now. Um, Okay, reaching the suppression phase where the epidemic subsides can take several months and cases may resurge the second or third wave. Herd immunity, the depletion of susceptible people for COVID-19 has not been demonstrated to date. Okay, this, remember this is from back in April or is it June? I think it's June. Um, it's also unclear if an infected person develops immunity and, and the duration of potential immunity is unknown. Thus, contingency plans to account for possible extended operational timelines are critical. Okay, we're getting down there, folks. Other logistical considerations. Consideration. Plan to identify additional resources and outline supply chain mechanisms to support green zones. Um, 
basically it's talking about providing uh, different, uh, well, let's read it. What the heck? We're only an hour into the show anyway, an hour and eight minutes. Explanation, the implementation and operation of green zones requiring strong coordination among several sectors, which may require uh, substantial additional resources, supplies and staff to maintain these spaces, shelters, IPC, water, sanitation and hygiene, uh, wash, W-A-S-H, that's water, sanitation and hygiene, Um, non-food items, NFIs. Uh, which are beds, linens, dishes, utensils, water containers, uh, psychosocial support, monitors slash supervisors. So they're going to put supervisors in there. That's going to really screw things up. Caretakers, attendants, risk communication and community engagement, security, etc. Considering global reductions in commodity shortages, movement restrictions, border closures. Oh, gee, Trump did that. And now the CDC says it's okay. Um, and decreasing trucking and flights, it is important to outline what additional resources will be needed and how they will be produced. That's interesting because Trump restricted flights from heavily uh, contaminated areas and he uh, closed, uh, basically closed off any travel from China. Um, so he's just doing what the CDC says. Should have been done anyway. Okay. Protection. Consideration. Ensure safe and protective environments for all individuals, including minors and individuals who require additional care, whether they are in the green zone or remain in a household after the primary caregiver or income provider has moved to a green zone. In other words, how's the house going to get paid for when the primary breadwinner is sick? Explanation. Separating families and disrupting and deconstructing multi-generational households may have long-term negative consequences. No kidding, really. Uh, Shielding strategies need to consider uh, sociocultural gender norms in order to adequately assess and address risks to individuals, particularly women and girls. Good. Uh, Restrictive um, gender norms may be exacerbated. Um, by isolation uh, strategies such as shielding. At the household level, isolating individuals and limiting their interactions compounded with social and economic disruption has raised concern of potential increased risk of uh, partner violence. <laughs> yeah, I knew they were going to put that in there. Uh, households participating in house swaps or sector Wide cohorting are in particular risk for gender-based violence, harassment, and abuse. We talked about that earlier. Um, and ex- exploitation as remaining household members may not be decision takers or responsible for household needs. Okay, social, culture, and religious practices. Consideration plan for potential disruption of social networks. Explanation, community celebrations, religious holidays, uh, bereavement, funerals and other rites of passage are cornerstones of many societies. Yeah, you mean like American society? Um, proactive planning ahead of time, including strong community engagement and risk consider uh, communications as needed uh, to better understand the issues and concerns of restricting individuals from participating in communal practices because they are being shielded. Failure to do so could lead to both interpersonal and communal violence. Hmm. 
Interesting. Not going to church can lead to violence. That's interesting. I've never heard of that before, but what the heck? You know, I don't know everything, I guess, but I've never seen it. I don't think anybody that I know that's a believer has seen that. I mean, as long as you still have telephones and social formats like the Internet. We watch our service all the time on TV, you know. Um, okay, mental health. Consideration. Ensure mental health and psychosocial support structures are in place to address increased stress and anxiety. Explanation. Additional stress and worry are common during any epidemic and may be more pronounced with COVID-19 due to the novelty of the disease and increased fear of infection, increased child care responsibility due to school closures and loss of livelihood. Thus, in, uh, in addition to risk and stigmatization, stigmatization and feeling of isolation, this shielding approach may have an important psychological impact and may lead to significant emotional distress, exacerbate existing mental illness or contribute to anxiety, depression or helplessness, grief or substance abuse, or thoughts of suicide amongst those who are separated or have been left behind. Shielded individuals with concurrent severe mental health conditions should not be left alone, there must be a caregiver allocated to them to prevent further protection, further protection risks such as neglect and abuse. And finally, the summary. Hallelujah, we made it through it. Here we go. Summary. The shielding approach is an ambitious undertaking which may prove effective in preventing COVID-19 infection among high-risk populations if well-managed. And Joe Biden's going to be running this, so you know it's not going to be well managed. Actually, again, that's that 0.00001% chance he gets in office. But, you know, you got to be ready, um, just in case. Uh, among high-risk populations, if well managed. Uh, while the premise is based on mitigation strategies used in the United Kingdom, here we go. There is no empirical evidence whether this approach will increase, decrease, or have been no effect on morbidity and mortality during the COVID-19 epidemic in various humanitarian settings. This document highlights um, A, risks and challenges of implementing the, this approach. B, need for additional resources in areas limited to reduce capacity. And C, indefinite timeline. And D, possible short-term and long-term adverse consequences. Public health not only focuses on eradication of disease, but addresses the entire spectrum of wealth and well-being, health and well-being, population displaced due to natural disasters and war and conflict are already fragile and have experienced increased mental, physical, and or emotional trauma. While the shielding approach is not meant to be coercive, yeah, right, um, it may appear to be forced or be misunderstood in humanitarian settings. As with many community interventions meant to decrease COVID-19 morbidity and mortality, compliance and behavioral change are the primary rate-limiting steps and may be driven by social and uh, emotional factors. These changes are difficult in developing stable settings, thus they may be particularly challenging in humanitarian settings, which brings their own set of multifaceted challenges that need to be taken into account. Household level shielding seems to me the most feasible 
and dignified as it allows for the least disruption of family structure and lifestyle, critical components to maintaining compliance. However, it is most susceptible to the introduction of the virus due to necessary movement or interaction outside the green zone. Less overnight, often large house, less oversight, excuse me, and often large household sizes. It may be less feasible in settings where family shelters are small and do not have multiple compartments. Uh, in humanitarian settings, small village sector blocks or camp level uh, shielding may allow for greater adherence to proposed protocols. In other words, they, they're going to make sure that you do what you're supposed to do. That's the whole thing is control. See that? But the expense of longer-term social impacts triggered by separation from friends and family, feelings of isolation and stigmatization, uh, mostly importantly, accidental introduction of the virus into the green zone may result in rapid transmission and increased morbidity and mortality as observed in existed, assisted care facilities in the U.S., a la uh, the governor of New York. Um, Cuomo. I wonder what you should look. I should look him up in the um, in the um, uh, what do you call it? The uh, the number, the Jewish number thing. Um, just to see what what his name means. The Gematria that is. Um, so. Basically, this article is asking a lot of questions and not answering a lot of them. It's, it's a lot of what ifs, you know. And uh, anyway, the last paragraph, um, the shielding approach is intended to alleviate stress on the healthcare system and circumvent the negative economic consequences of long-term containment measures and lockdowns by protecting the most vulnerable. Implementation of this approach will involve careful planning, additional resources, strict adherence, and, uh, and strong multi-sector coordination, strict adherence, hmm. requiring agencies to consider the potential repercussions among populations that have collectively experienced physical and psychological trauma, which makes them more vulnerable to adverse so psychosocial consequences. In addition, uh, thoughtful consideration of the Potential uh, benefit versus the social and financial costs of implementation will be needed in humanitarian settings. Um, and basically that's it for the article, but it sure seems like they're pushing for uh, in order to protect us from ourselves. That's what government tries to do anymore. They try to protect us from ourselves because we're stupid and we don't know what to do. Well, I'm sorry, but, you know, people have been living with epidemics and pandemics for years. Um you know, a lot of people knock Jews, but back during the Black Plague, um, a lot of Jewish communities weren't getting it. And one of the reasons were that Jewish communities were often isolated and separated and not allowed to intermingle with Gentile communities. So when the Gentiles all came down with the Black Plague and the Jews didn't, all of, all of a sudden it was, oh, the Jews are doing something to cause the plague. Um, you know, that, that seems to always be the... Um, the driving force between pogroms and holocausts. Um, but uh, uh, the Jews were also, because we wash our hands all the times before we eat and before we do a lot of things, 
uh, were one of the first ones um, to discover that because of that practice, we weren't spreading disease that much within within our communities in, in the old days. Um, so that's something else to keep into consideration. Um, so I think that, you know, sheltering at home is what they call it now. I mean, it's probably the best bet, you know. Um, my wife and I here, we live in a small, small house, so we would probably shelter here. Um, our community is so widespread that, you know, there's no way that they would be able to move us anywhere. Um, but, you know, I'm not doubting that it could still happen, especially since we're in rural Oregon and we tend to vote Republican. Uh, what better way to get rid of us, right? Uh, move us into a, maybe a city setting where there's a lot of COVID and, uh, you know, that's just the way it goes. It's, um, it's human nature to do the wrong thing. It really is. It's always been human nature to do the wrong thing. Um, usually, um, uh, when people came down with, um, communicable diseases that were deadly or detrimental to other people, um, the people that were sick were the ones that were kept in isolation and the healthy people were allowed to run around and do whatever they needed to do. It's worked for centuries, centuries, folks. This is the first epidemic or pandemic where healthy people are being forced to stay inside. And that's not normal. That's usually when people do stuff that's not normal like that, they're up to something. So this is a whole thing that has to do with control and power to see how compliant you and I are going to be in all this. And if we're not compliant, they're going to force compliance on us. Um, again, I have a lot of respect for that governor in South Dakota who said that she is not going to use her resources to force the, um, uh, mask mandate by if Joe Biden were to do one or anybody were to do one. South Dakota has some of the least cases of COVID that there is. And they were spiking a few weeks ago, if I remember Eric saying that. And, uh, and it was starting to go down. Okay. And a lot of people are coming down with it, but it's more of a call, uh, more of like a cold or a, a bad cold or a, you know, a light flu. And, uh, then they're getting over it unless they get, um, you know, the, uh, long haulers. And then still you're reasonably healthy. You just, um, are tired all the time and, and have occasional fevers and stuff like that. But, um, anyway. I just wanted to present this article to you tonight from the Center of Disease Control. It looks like an attempt to clamp down on people. I have no no doubt that people like Cuomo have read this and Kate Brown has read it and uh, Gavin Newsom and Ensley up in Washington has read it and they're getting ready to implement it, especially if Biden gets in office. Um, if Trump remains in office, then all this is going to go away. Um or he won't allow it, I should say. Um, he's been pretty good so far. He's demonstrated more often than not that large crowds can get together. And yes, a few people do come down with COVID, but not like they were, they were predicting would. Um, and, uh, Biden, uh, who would draw crowds of 10 or 15 people, you know, yeah, they probably didn't come down with it, but, uh, you know, what are you going to do with 10 or 15 people? Um, 
So uh, we've got a coward that hides in his basement. And he's at risk too, folks, because he's got dementia. He's got old age. I'm sure he's got some other problems. You know, when you get to be his age, what is he, almost 80 years old, late 70s? Um, things start creeping in. So he may have heart problems. He may have kidney problems or something like that. And um, Trump came down with it. Trump went to the hospital. He got shot up with remdesivir. Um, he developed antibodies, and he was out of the hospital in less than a week. So, man, it's it's good to have a president that has a set of cojones. Uh, the guy, the other guy that's running and is claiming they have won the election, um, I don't think he's got a set of cojones. I think he's a coward that likes to run away from everything. Um, not fit for service, not fit for office. And his uh, his little cohort, his uh, oh, I don't know. I don't want to get into character assassinations, but she's not fit either. Um, made some very bad decisions while she was running um, uh, the attorney general position here in California. And uh, I don't know. It's just it's just a mess. And uh, the the sooner that those two were out of the spotlight and gone, the better. And um, looking forward to a, a, another four years of Trump. And like I said yesterday, um, if he just keeps his mouth shut and doesn't concede, because um, the concession is basically the white flag of surrender, like the guy said last night. If he doesn't concede and um, and it goes has to go to the uh, the court, and if the court doesn't do anything about it, uh, the court should get active in causing recounts and, and stuff like that. And and um, a lot of judges are finding against Trump, um, but um, the Supreme Court has the ultimate authority. And so um, getting these little judges to uh, to turn him down is actually doing him a big favor because, you know, that's another rung up the ladder to the Supreme Court. And the faster that he can get that done, the faster he can get it to the Supreme Court and they can make a decision about these states that uh, were supposedly um, illegal counting and ballot harvesting and everything took place. And um, maybe then uh, the count will get turned around. But um, I don't know. He's just uh, Trump has done too many good things for too many people for it to be this close. And I think there's a lot of hanky panky, a lot of. a lot of fraud that went on. I don't even think it. I know it. Uh, people are signing affidavits left and right and, and saying they're willing to go to court in Trump's favor. So um, that's why uh, the paper tiger is being very quiet. He's gone back to his basement. And you don't hear very much from him. And he sets up an office, the office of the president-elect. Uh, such an office does not exist. never has existed. It's brand new. And it's impotent, just like the just like uh, the guy that's uh, being um, put on a pedestal in that organization. So, anyway, with all those things having been said, and with uh, me getting pretty tired and needing to go to bed, um, I bid you fair adieu. I say good night. Have a uh, pleasant tomorrow. Uh, we'll be back here on Monday. It'll be probably be Brian. Uh, Eric and myself, and um, I'm sure we'll have a very interesting subject to talk about. I will get a hold of them tomorrow to find out what that's going to be, so I can let you know ahead of time. 
But um, anyway, thanks for listening in. Uh, the Lord Yahweh bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you and may he give you peace and rest and joy and all the, all the things that he has for you. May he bestow upon you in Yeshua's name. Good night, ladies and gentlemen.